Hi everyone and welcome back to the Super Duper Music Podcast. This is me, Matthias, and with me is the always awesome and never tired Stephen Walter. I'm super tired. <laughs> I'm super tired. Got up at six o'clock this morning and uh, we're like super late now, so so it's tired me. Yeah. We first we have to start off with an apology for our very long uh, together absence. Stephen, of course, filled the gap with his uh, awesome solo sode, but uh, yeah, this this break was much longer than intended, and we do intend to not let it happen again. It's been it's been a crazy beginning of the first year, but we won't indulge in any uh, excuses. Uh, we'll just get into the news. What's what's the news? Must have been some crazy news in like the six weeks we've been off. Yeah, one would think so, right? right. But then again, classical music is all about old news, yeah. <laughs> which is maybe not really news. So, <laughs> dead news, fake news, fake news. Yes, <laughs> old news. I think. That's right. Yeah, we can we can coin that term. Yeah. So actually, this is a this is a news item sent in from a listener uh, quite a long time ago. He just missed the first episode that we did uh, this year, but uh, so it's it's been lying here for a long time. But I still think it's worth talking about it, even though it's over a month old. It's a new study that came out in Norway about the health of musicians, like the mental health and or the, the physical health, both. But a lot of mental stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would assume. <laughs> yes, you would assume. Yeah, exactly. So this was a big study. It was done through a questionnaire that they got 1,607 musicians to answer. Uh, and it's the first of its kind of the size anywhere. And they were um, they were getting a lot of attention, especially in Germany, England and the States, where these uh, finds also um, started up new projects there. So we'll get more uh, results like this from... Uh, from other countries pretty soon and i think it of course all of this stuff is very preliminary it's the first time we get these kind of results so we'll have to just see if they stand up but if they do it's pretty remarkable in a negative sense so of course they will they compared the mental state of these norwegian musicians to the state of the general working force in norway um, overall and for instance when it comes to insomnia or or sleep challenges among the norwegian average workforce people suffering from sleep disabilities of any kind that can be sleep apnea or other things like that there the number is nine uh, percent among the general population uh, compared to 19% among musicians. And when it comes to insomnia, where you just don't manage to sleep or can't fall asleep, the number is 33.5% among the general population and 41% among musicians. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. That's drastic. Pretty, it's very, very, very drastic. And I, I, can, I could relate to this in some way. I mean, you can see there's some slight difference between insomnia versus other kind of uh, sleep um, problems, which can also be like anxiety and these yeah, kind of things, yeah. which I can very easily relate to as a musician, of course, especially if you're freelance or making your own work, then you have a lot of stuff to be stressed about when you're waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah, it um, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and the, the, is this only about freelance musicians or is it doesn't relate to orchestra musicians, for example? They did this study on musicians on average, so mm. they would include orchestra musicians. But the big uh, thing there is that they did not do classical musicians specifically. Okay. And most musicians that are not, like other, of all genres, yeah. are freelancers. Right. 
because the, no other genre has these orchestras. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so that's sleep. Then you have, uh, of course, when it comes to anxiety and depression, uh, the numbers here are 7 to 10% of the general workforce. And the number among musicians are 15 to 20%. Yeah, well, I, I wonder like where it comes from. Is it due to the... The quality of the work or the just the anxieties coming with being a freelance and being, uh, you know, in a difficult and strenuous and often precarious work situation? Or is it just a self-selecting mechanism that just simply more people with basically more fucked up people <laughs> go into music? And, and it's, it's sort of self-selective because of the simply the, the occupation and, and less because of the actual occupation. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it could definitely be something like that. What they they think it has to do with, especially for the sleep, um, the sleep part of it is that musicians often work uh, irregular hours, so that your your uh, your rhythms are really irregular. Suddenly you sleep really long when you maybe work late the day before, and then you suddenly have rehearsals from the morning. So you 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 really have a huge variety there, and that's really bad for uh, for structure which is of course one of the most important things for healthy sleep so did you have uh, did you ever have insomnia issues or sleeping issues no not insomnia i had sometimes where i could get really stressed about things in the night i would think about some flight i would have to book or whatever i had to write or something and and often you get uh, much more stressed about that stuff in the night than is actually merited like i remember at one i had one period which was particularly bad And then I would wake up and be stressed for a flight a half a year later, so which doesn't make any sense Shit, at all. No. But, um, okay, so what's your news? Uh, oh, Steven? my news. So this month and a half, yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of disposed all my older news because it really is old news and kind of boring. Plus, I did talk about some of it in my uh, solo sode. So um, the, this came in yesterday, and it's 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 somewhat lame. Yet the discussion around it is again symptomatic this was um february 16th so yesterday as of uh this recording um david garrett yay <laughs> david garrett uh, won uh, the frankfurter musikpreis for 2017 and that's kind of a big deal in germany or, or rather in its tradition uh, an interesting um yeah shift kind of because if you look at who won it in the past it's people like Anne-Sophie von Otter or Peter Oetwersch. So, so really like, you know, super classical, really high, high art and establishment uh, musicians. So here comes along David Garrett <laughs> and wins the prize for 2017. I mean, it's, it's a kind of a trans genre prize. So it's not only classical. Last, last year, for example, a singer and songwriter um, won it. And you know, people like uh, Keith Emerson, and so so it's a it's a it's a mix. So uh, along this news item, I've just been noticing on my on my Twitter and Facebook uh, feeds today a huge uh, shitstorm, as you could expect, uh, with all these people being all super upset about that. And I mean, I, I we don't need to talk about whether or not uh, David Garrett is a fantastic artist. I I would doubt it. But it is interesting to to hear this just sort of really reflect reflex um, crazy outcry by by the establishment saying you know this is not a this is not even a musician this is not even a uh, this is basically a corporate identity 
it's not it's not it has no own voice and all that and um so not at all in any way engaging in a conversation about what we're actually talking about um you know music and it's uh and 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 ways to to reach reach people because on that basis david garrett won the prize he, the the jury said he won it because of his um what's this now quote great engagement for the arts and for communicating classical music to new audiences so this could be something you know we could talk about and if you have an uh, opinion that uh, david garrett is a crappy example you might want to engage in how to do it better but yeah you don't really hear any of that discussion you only hear you know how what um, what terrible crossover and all that sort of reflex reaction and uh, I don't know. I think it's it's symptomatic um, very much for our business in particular, but um, very for our time in general. I mean, I don't want to relate every single <laughs> uh, uh, thing in the world to Donald Trump, but um, we 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 do have a we do have a troubling situation. Congratulations! Yes, I did yeah. manage to do to get this <laughs> twist. We do have a troubling situation where um, you know you can't you if like. The, 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 let's say the left uh, doesn't find any way to really engage in a conversation about things like with this this Milo Yiannopoulos, what his name is, this crazy Breitbart blogger went to um, various universities and they just didn't allow him to come. So it's not like they, you just don't you just don't talk to uh, you don't engage in conversation. You kind of block out and uh, dogmatically yeah disallow this type of free speech and i mean and it's it is in a way the same kind of thing like people don't people on different sides of of this divide let's say it's pop you know popularizing classical music like the, the way david garrett does it and the real you know the real uh, music business there's no there's no conversations it's just a just a pure um distance distancing uh, from one another and that's i don't know if it maybe it wasn't any better at any other time but it does feel like I've just been conscious about this last ten years, and feels like getting it's getting worse in a way. So I have this this weird um, dialectic of you know backlash in a way from each other. So you kind of become polarized even more. So the one says you know the other is entirely anything but the real deal is uh, is basically total bigotry and vice versa. And there's something profoundly troubling about that. I think. And so that has been uh, sort of uh, popping up a lot today, as um, as regards the uh, as regards David Garrett winning, winning Frankfurt Music Prize, which is one of the most renowned music prizes to win. So um, there's definitely a polarizing situation growing here. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I mean, my reaction, of course, is I, I feel it's. Um... I don't know. I feel I'm always saying the same thing, which is I my reaction would be that this feels very German somehow. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, oh. but maybe. But that's interesting. Is it is it very German? I mean, no, it's not. Like we had news items just before Christmas that went to a similar thing in Australia. Yeah. Where there was also a, a classical orchestra that got a got a prize just because of a crossover thing. Um, but I think in terms of, of somebody like David Garrett and also many of them, the reason it's upsetting is not because it's not classical. Mm. I think most people can get past that and everybody who can't are. 
that's their their thing but but i think a lot of it has to do with the kind of kind of different that it goes to for instance david garrett is is in very i i don't know among popular musicians most he's not anybody who spends serious time working with music or will will not really find his his music anything but pretty cheap mm. i don't know I, i've never never heard anything else and if anybody has any opinions on this and any kind of ways to see his work in any different way please let us know mm. i would really <laughs> love to be able to do that but but it seems rather that the people giving him the price are not really capable of judging or wanting to even enter the world of his work or whatever stylistic stuff he's doing and thus kind of just give him the price for being something they think is popular with another crowd. And that is the extent to which his, his um, musical work is being judged. That he plays the violin, he comes from a classical background, now he does something else that seems to be popular. And that is where it stops. There's no engagement with whatever he's actually mm. doing. It's just different and that's a, a plus. Yeah, and it ties back to what what, what we uh, talked about in some other, some other episode uh, that... For m- many people outside the business, any- anybody basically holding a violin in, the- in their hand makes it classical in a way. This is one interesting uh, quote here. The, the well-known singer Julian Pregardien, one of the people ba- blogging about how terrible this is, he wrote, quote, um, a Paganini show t- 200 years ago did uh, cause, um, I'm, I'm translating as I go, did cause uh, you know people screaming and... Uh, going wild so why not do that today but is that still classical music <laughs> i think that, that that sentence in a way is a is a is a really weird contradiction in in terms i mean if you admit that something was there already yet you define that you question whether that was classical music i mean it just shows how 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 weird this whole classical music concept is like it's a entirely a projection isn't it yeah but that and also how you yeah a projection of what you even believe what you want the situation yeah. to be what you want right. the audience to be like all a projection on all these different things that has nothing to do with the music yeah and that's also how you would, would instinctively judge him to be bad just because you 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 have you project these qualities onto all his outfits and shows and blah, blah, blah. And again, don't engage with what he's actually doing. It's really weird how I saw both sides, basically the Garrett side and the classical police uh, side plays with a entirely wrong and back-ass word projection of, of the past that never really existed in that way. Yeah, exactly. So, but it, I think it, it's also symptomatic that... that um, it's symptomatic of a culture that has not been willing to deal with the real musical ideas, even in classical music, for a long time. It's the only way you can explain that they seem so radically unwilling to engage with the ideas of other genres or what new stuff is going on right now. So it's uh, the head; their heads are then somewhere completely different. And that's the same for it's the same for this jury, and it's the same for uh, a big portion of the kind of uh, high-end classical music life. I think all over, especially Europe, maybe. I don't know how it's in America. But that was pretty. That was pretty hard. No, it's true. I mean, um, Germany is uh, absolutely a sort of stronghold of of this whole development. I mean, there's no question about it. Okay, uh, do, I'm sure you have amazing technology to present us, don't you? I have uh, an amazing technology to at least try to present. 
Um, this technology thing, I, like last time uh, I did it, you did it so beautifully several times already. But the last time I did it, I was um, I did this piano, self-playing piano. And that seemed to be a much easier thing because I just had to learn like the air goes through there, then it's a vent and some vacuum and blah, 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 like technical stuff. And the technology for this week is I really all the time hit up against my very, very low level of knowledge of physics. And I become very, very aware of that. So... This is new terrain. So the technology of the week is the theremin. Oh, that's this bizarre Russian instrument. Yeah, it, it's Russian. It's made by uh, Lev Sergeyevich Theremin or Leo Th- Leon Theremin, as okay. he's also known. And he was a physicist and electronics engineer who invented this instrument in 1919. And he traveled on tour around uh, Europe with it and Russia until he ended up emigrating to the US and then he got a patent for the instrument in 1928. So uh, he called the instrument an etherophone, but then we called it a theremin. So do you know anything about the theremin, Steven? Uh, I heard it being performed. It's pretty uh, it's pretty cool in a way. What does it sound like? It's very lyrical in a weird way. So it's a continuous sound and the pitch is somehow being controlled by basically you're interfering, your hand interfering with certain uh, waves and uh, um, some kind of a field between two transistors. <laughs> I'm totally making this up. But anyway, some be- it's yeah. like it's, it's <laughs> kind of a, it's kind, it's, it looks like some 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 bizarre uh, ritual of somebody waving around some in some av- device and it uh, creates quite. An interesting sound. It's, it can be very beautiful. Yeah, it definitely can be beautiful. I think uh, we'll, we'll get to that. So so you said a lot of things that were correct and a lot of things okay. that were not. So we can start. So theremin is the only instrument in the world that's played without you touching the instrument while you play it. So everything's played in mm. the air, like you said correctly, around two antennas. But these two antennas have nothing to do okay. with each other. In fact, the instrument is built so that the two antennas is not supposed to have any interaction okay. whatsoever. So if you've seen it, it looks like a small wooden box that's kind of long and flat. And then on one side, there's a huge antenna going straight up. And on the other side, there's like a circular antenna that lies flat like a hole. And this low one, control, like the lying circle, controls the volume. And the high standing one controls the pitch. And uh, the pitch is then determined by how close to the antenna your hand is. Uh, So the closer you go, the higher the pitch gets. And at the same time with your other hand, when you go towards the circular lying one, the closer you get, the softer the sounds gets. So then you can raise the pitch by going away. And if you touch it, it just disappears completely. Okay, are you with me so far? I'm with you, I'm with you. The way that it's set up, okay. Ooh, I'm a little nervous here. Um, do you know what an oscillator is, Stephen? Ah, uh, yeah, it's something. I know it's it's basically a basic element of a um, of a synthesizer, isn't it? Like I think it's it's one of the basic things that create sound. But I don't know exactly what the technical definition is. No, so like an, an oscillation can be really anything. It can be like a vibrating string, anything creating vibrations that are then picked up by the air. 
Yeah, so this instrument creates these uh, electronic uh, oscillators, basically. And what it does is that it has, you know, <laughs> again, another word here. So then again, do you, know, do you know what a capacitor is? I have no idea. Okay, so a capacitor is basically a system that stores uh, electrons and can store charge uh, over time. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it consists of two plates, one with a positive charge and one with a negative charge. And then it has kind of isolation between them. That has a name, but I don't remember it. So it's like a, it can be air or rubber or anything that does not let the electrons travel past these two plates. These two plates are then kind of then interlocked in one system. So yeah, so this this one creates oscillations, this capacitor, when the charge increases or decreases because then the electron kind of pushes each other around and you get oscillations there. So inside, connected to each of these antennas, there is one uh, complete capacitor existing within there, within the instrument, interlocking with itself. And then each antenna is an extra arm extending from the capacitor that lies within the instrument. And this one adds on to the full charge or full uh, yeah, full charge that the capacitor can hold. Funky. So let's say that without the antenna, it has a certain charge and then you add on material and it increases the cap- capacity right, of the capacitor. Okay. Then what you do when you go closer with your hand towards this antenna, you still increase even more the capacity of this extra part of the capacitor because you make it more and more like an extra capacitor in the other capacitor right funky you see it i see it so it's like you can you can explain it in a different way like the tension between the um, your hand and the antenna or between these two plates is basically the same as when you have two magnets of opposite charge and you press them closer together, they really resist each other. And the closer you get, the more force there is to push them away. And the same thing you get in the capacitor. Remember with these two plates, one positive and one negative, the closer they get, the more uh, resistance there is between them and the more charge you can store in the capacitor. And that's why when you go closer to the antenna, the, the, the oscillations increase because you get a, there's more and more uh, resistance. All right. And so the pitch pitch goes up. And you go fur, further away, the less like a capacitor it is, the further away this plate is. Because your hand basically acts as a second plate of that second capacitor. Got it. You do? Uh, really? Uh, kind of. Well, it's... it's it- I mean, this, they invented this in the fucking 20s, so it should, uh, can't be too hard. <laughs> yeah, but you get it. So it's, it's basically the same as like with two magnets. So just it's electromagnetism instead of magnetism, you know? So the closer you go to the antenna, the more you increase the oscillations within the system. The further you go away, then it slows down. It's super cool. I like it, and it's uh, and is there a a live performance practice of of it? Yeah, there there is still there are like traveling soloists. It always looks fun. Um, they play with the orchestra and stuff, and they always play kind of soprano raptor or uh, soprano raptor. Yeah, so that's the kind of the thing they do. <laughs> there are some um, music written for this instrument, but it's not very much. They're the great videos to see if you want to see uh, Thurman performed live or explained how it works there are some fantastic videos on youtube um, my favorites are when you see the theremin himself play it it really sounds extremely expressive lots of vibrato 
because you on the theremin you can do vibrato, you can do anything just by um, basically shaking your hand next to the antenna in the air wherever the pitch is. And then it's funny, like at the time when he was start he started touring, he also taught other people to tour too, and there were a few very successful thereminists who who were traveling and and uh, they developed fingering systems for this instrument even though it's just played in the air and it consists of a series of hand positions um, so it, it looks kind of like you're actually playing a real instrument but you could of course just be moving your hand hand flatter or closer it's just much harder to control precisely the small intervals and stuff. yeah okay so that's the theremin uh, guys very cool so very cool uh, yeah I have I have a short quandary to uh, round it off. Quandary me. So I've been thinking about. I had, a, I had an interesting conversation with our common friend uh, Michael Rauter, uh, who always has uh, original thoughts on stuff. And he, uh, we've just been talking about music and all that. And just one thing that I found, I found in a way, yeah, kind kind of obvious, but but never I never thought of music in that way. There seems to be a big correlation between the larger trends and waves of let's call it zeitgeist you know the 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 general view upon existence and and man in uh, in the universe and the function of music you know the 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 the, the kind of the, the the what we project into music so if you look at the archaic roots of music it's very connected to physical aspects of synchronization like dance and chant and all that so it's very much about the community and the it's, it's very down to earth as it were in the in the real sense and 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 so were so were humans it was that was sort of the reality of uh, human life very much based around the local community and the synchronization of 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 the local people and then, of course, moving into Middle Ages and and Renaissance and uh, and all that, and also going into Baroque, the religious, you know, homo homo relig- relig- religioso, as it were, was very dominant. At least, I mean, we're talking about Western classical Eurocentric view, of course. So this predominance of uh, religious worldview and religious philosophy, of course, also had its direct influence on how we looked at v- music as a sort of a divine expression and you know as like even Bach would sign almost all of his scores you know, in honor of God so just uh, the the music's expressed sort of a cosmic and very religious idea of of humanity even even if even if the music was secular which it more and more became in in the course of the baroque era but uh, there was this obvious tie between how people looked at uh, how humans looked at themselves in Europe and how uh, how the relig- religious function of music was seen and then of course enlightenment came along and it became more of a secular function so it was more about you know life was more about as well having leisure and having time and having fun and having entertainment and music became the same and this is in a, in a in a in a way kind of obvious but it becomes a it gets a, a f- interesting twist which I've been quandering about as uh, we when we when we go into modernity and you know late romanticism and going into modern ages music has also beca- became kind of an agent for individualism in a way so it it was about ex- first of all it was about expressing the personal feeling of an individual or of a uh, you know the intimate and the the individual 
and less about universal universal ideas. And this constant trend towards individualism and that that's the, the highest you know goal uh, of being a human and also of of uh, creating art turned into this this idea of music being also this very isolated individual thing individual in the in the real sense of the word not dividable and and that's until today and that's really the big problem at least in in the opinion of uh, our friend Michael that we need to in a way overcome this idea that music is is there for itself in a way and that it's that it's it, that that we have this huge fear of prescribing a function to music and uh, that we may want to think about music in its social dimension and in its political dimension and in its experimental and uh, you know experience based dimension and uh, we're still very stuck in this modern idea that came through um, romanticism and uh, into and and together and that's the point together with uh, the larger zeitgeist of individual individualism we've created a view of music that is also entirely as it were it rests in itself like we, we we're very scared of prescribing a function to music and that, that's a profoundly modern in the sense like modern in the sense of you know beginning 20th century idea of of what the human is and maybe society has moved on in a way or, or the zeitgeist is moving on into a again more community and more uh, looking for meaning um, direction and maybe music will have to do that as well but we're still very stuck in this in this in this yeah interesting but maybe not any more up-to-date idea that music is so not dividable, as it were, and not, not in any way related to context or to social setting. And this quasi-liturgic uh, or quasi-sacred view of music is also, again, correlated to that specific time that has been, for some reason, institutionalized. So I was wondering, does that make sense to you? Like, I, I never thought of this as it were function of music as it relates to the broader philosophical ideas about what it means to be at all. <laughs> and, that, and that I find kind of interesting, going back to archaic roots and Renaissance and Enlightenment and, how, and modernity and how that all sort of had its expression of how we look at music too. Isn't that interesting? But you've been describing a function as if a role that music should have. Should have. Yeah, exactly. Should have. A role that you want. Yeah. So it, it's it, again, it's the, it's the same theme with Juan uh, Williams, where he he had personal aspirations, what he wanted, music he wanted to write, but then he saw his country needed different music. So then he started writing that music instead. It's basically that. So that you would want the, a, a class of artists or musicians really being more active trying to to read the zeitgeist and see what does our population actually need right now yeah or at least to have a um i mean so so that may be one solution people want someone could come up with to say okay uh, we need to write uh, patriotic music for our country right now I, I i would hope that um let's say more complex ideas will be expressed for example how to how to you know to express uh, to to have that incorporated in your idea of being a composer or to be an artist that it's a it, that you are fulfilling a function maybe of expressing life today as it were <laughs> and not to create something that is entirely 
detached from reality, which is still a dominant idea in people's minds, I feel. Yeah, so that you search, you 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 um, explore ideas just for the sake of the ideas exactly. themselves. So it's basically the opposite of exactly. that. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that this is a something should be any kind of dogma, but it is interesting to think think about that. That's where we really come from with music. Music always has been, in some way, a, a expression of of the needs of the time and of the, of the bigger ideas of the time. And if you look at the postmodern days we live today, maybe um, maybe some some. I wonder what the postmodern composer will actually be like. I mean, we'll know in hindsight, but uh, it is something that is interesting to engage with. I think as an idea. Yeah, it's very. I, but also, I think it's very interesting if you can take it further and look at more. Uh, can you have pieces that exist only because of the community, the community that arises around a certain concert? Can you have, uh, yeah, basically like audience participatory things? Maybe, maybe you don't need the the idol of the composer or the artist as the one person anymore. Maybe that role is actually switching towards being a really skilled facilitator for a certain kind of experience you could have and then and then that becomes the next composer basically somebody that makes a certain kind of thing possible but it's a very interesting yeah. uh, conversation i'm sure it's going to feel much uh, it's the kind of thing that I, I feel i have to sleep on to be even to to get what we started to talk about but i i really feel i one of the next big things i think for for how we work is kind of the ultimate uh, uh, way that our genre is going to dissolve uh, and meet other genres, and that is the loss of the composer. And I think that's really uh, going to be a big thing, where 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 composition is not something done alone anymore, but it it's more a step a step in a process. And uh, I think it's it's what needs to happen, and it's also I think the only, or I think it's the next big step in how we can start approaching um, our old music, our huge catalog of classical music, in a real original way. And try to do some real interpretations, not this kind of fake, fake inter fake interpretations. <laughs> you have a recommendation, or uh, I don't, but I'm sure you have an extra good one. Okay, I'll come with two recommendations. Okay. Okay. First, I'm going to recommend a beautiful piece by a young composer called Kate Soper, and she uh, oh, she's the it. vocalist and composer for a group called Wet Ink that works out of New York. And she wrote a, a great piece that I'm really fascinated with these days. It's called Voices of the Killing Jar. And it's it's basically a, a modern version of Pierre Rollinard, just with completely different text and everything's different. But uh, she uses voice and electronics and it's, uh, yeah, very fascinating. I recommend listening from the beginning to the end because a lot of the, the good stuff is in the transitions and you miss those if you just jump around like some kangaroo. Recommendation number two. What's that? That's to go to YouTube and see Alexander Theremin play his own instrument. Mm. It's so intense and so Russian that you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> the most tremendous Russian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Please. Thank you. Please subscribe yes. on uh, iTunes and... Uh, Leave a comment if you may, if you want. Yeah. We are very quick answering on Facebook sometimes. Yeah, we are. Sometimes not. We apologize for that, but um, 
we also again apologize for our long absence and we are very excited to be back with you in one week right steven absolutely absolutely take care you all and have a great week ciao ciao ciao